Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, My goal here is to find exceptional people in their fields and interview them and ask them good questions and and learn things from them and bring that to you, the audience, that maybe they haven't uh, been able to talk about in just a generic article online, that kind of thing. So today I have Dario Ricardo Valenzano. Uh, he leads a research group at the Max Planck Institute for Biology of Aging and at the CCAD in uh, Cologne, Germany. It's C-E-C-A-D. Uh, he studied neuroscience at the Scuola Normale Superiore in Italy. He did a postdoc at Stanford University in the USA. And the research we'll talk about is he's uh, trying to understand how species in nature evolved long or short lifespans and, and the role of uh, gut bacteria and how that, that changes during aging. So we'll go into that. And uh, Dario, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So what are you trying to figure out about about aging? Um, why certain creatures have the lifespan they do? Or is it more of, uh, you know, what's happening to their gut bacteria as they age? Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, there are different questions there. And uh, one thing that really fascinates me, and uh, I see, you know, this type of uh, activity, this uh, research activity that we conduct, really curiosity-driven, uh, it's really trying to understand how come different species live that, you know, uh, differently. For example, there are species that live just a few hours, uh, just a few uh, days, uh, some invertebrates, some some worms, some flies, mayflies, for instance. And there are organisms that live thousands of years, as far as we know. Some, for example, uh, bristlecone pines in uh, in California. Uh, There are um, organisms that can preserve themselves for very long. Um, some yeast have been seen to uh, survive for hundreds of thousands of years encased in a special substrate. So in other words, we try to understand in my group what come, you know, how come these different species um, evolve these different, uh, uh, these different strategies to survive in different environments. And not just out of curiosity, but also we want to understand the, the mechanism, the, the, the genetic, the, the molecular basis uh, that underlies this difference. So this is one thing. And... Uh, so the, on one end, you know, the, the genetics basis for these differences in lifespan across species. But then on the other hand, we also want to know how can we manipulate aging and lifespan in species like our, our own. For instance. How can we come, out, come up with uh, new strategies, new methods to manipulate lifespan um, and aging and therefore reduce the risk for many diseases? So what's been noticed when you look at uh, the extremes, you know, creatures that live only for a few hours or days versus ones that live, you know, for 50, 100 or more years? Like what uh, are there different regimes, you know, short lived creatures tend to have these processes and middle ones and long lived ones. What do you see? Right. For instance, you know, species that live very short, normally just, they, they just survive what it takes them to, to reproduce, right? So at the end of the day, what you need to do is to keep replicating yourself, uh, your genes. Uh, and so uh, perpetrating this line, right? That's what, uh, 
really keep species going. Um, and um, what, what we are very much interested in understanding is uh, what goes wrong, right? So what, what fails? Uh, so we, we are very much into fail, failing modalities, right? Failure modalities in different species. And therefore, when we compare the very long-lived ones to the short-lived ones, what, uh, what we know as a field, um, what's been recognized by many, many researchers over the years, is that, um, which is quite, you know, um, intuitive, is that uh, long-lived species tend to be extremely good at repairing damage that uh, no matter what will occur. So um, long-lived and short-lived species, they undergo external you know, insults, right? So they, they, uh, they continuously receive insults from external factors, you know, temperature, light, um, aggression from other conspecifics, et cetera, infections, et cetera, et cetera. And there is also damage that comes from the inside. So for instance, when, um, when a cell divides, uh, when a cell replicates or other cellular processes lead to the accumulation of a lot of... Um, a lot of damage uh, and the risk for, for continuous damage, right? So the long-lived organisms, the ones that age more slowly also, are the ones who are able to repair themselves better. So they're better suited. They have really complex and sophisticated machines, molecular, cellular, and physiological machineries to repair damage that no matter what will occur to them. So we, un we try to understand, you know, how these differences in uh, repair um, um, differ among these different species. Um, so this is one thing that, uh, that many, many laboratories, many groups have been investigating. How can we improve DNA repair, protein repair, etc.? cetera? Um, and then we want to so, understand, yeah. Well, okay. Um, when an organism is, you know, in, early on in its lifespan, is the DNA repair, for instance, sufficient enough for the organism to do well? Or is it only in, when it gets old, you know, the, whatever old means for a given creature. It seems like, you know, for us, that's when our repair systems don't function as well. And, you know, for dogs and for other creatures, it seems like when a creature gets quote unquote old for that kind of creature is when it has problems. That's right. So this is one way of looking at it, right? So you can say when, when you get old, then the repair fails, right? But then what it means really to get old. Uh, so probably what happens is that when repair fails, then we start having all that, you know, that whole range, that whole array of phenotypes or traits or characteristics that we recognize as being old or being sick, right? Which is a collection of, uh, of, of diseases, if you want, of, um, of little failures, right? So um, aging can be like, you know, you, you, the way you're, you were putting, you know, you were posing your question is aging as a trigger for uh, for failure of repair, but there is, a, there is an intrinsic, actually, uh, uh, crosstalk between all these repair mechanisms and uh, initiation of the aging process. And to answer your question, what happens early on in life, um, even if you look at the germline, right, so those specific cells in our bodies, but not just in humans, but in any species in the world, um, the, the germline is really good at repairing uh, damage that occurs to them. For example, DNA damage. They are extremely good, extremely protected from, um, from insult. Uh, and the reason for that is because they have to transmit the, the genetic information to the next generation, right? So there is a lot more pressure, if you want, selective pressure for the germline to stay clean from, uh, from these insults, from these mistakes in coping, for example, as opposed to other cell types in the body, like a skin cell or a liver cell. Well, I guess it makes sense. That's the great hope is, you know, you want to keep the, uh, the germline 
as pristine as possible so you can reproduce. That's right. That's exactly right. And so by trying to understand what mechanisms make sh- you know, are, 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 are there so, so, so that uh, this germline can sustain itself for a very long time, we can probably design ways to treat also somatic cells, so the cells of the rest of the body, to keep themselves clean, right? So what happens, for example, during cancer, uh, many types of cancer is that uh, errors start accumulating and you have these cascades of uh, events that lead to reprogramming of these cells into new types, into new identities that self-replicate beyond their actually designed um, uh, capacities. And then they escape the, the surveillance from the rest of the body and then what's, uh, damage start to happen. So in my group, I, I, yeah, sorry. I have a quick question here about the germline. Um, if you look at males and females of a given species, um, once the, you know, the male's body, their cells wouldn't know that they've successfully reproduced, but the female's body could, you know, at least in certain animals. Does, has anyone studied to see if there's a change in preference of, uh, of the germline cells once, you know, an organism has successfully reproduced, you know, been pregnant and, you know, carried their, their, their young to term? I mean, does the, does their body change in such a way where the germline is not as uh, diligently preserved. Right, so there are organisms indeed that once they reproduce, they actually trigger a whole uh, new process, right? So that leads to, uh, oftentimes to demise. For example, many plants, when they, once they bloom, once they actually reproduce, once they, um, they are fertilized, they actually die, they, they, they let themselves go. For, this is the case for bamboo forests, for example, they live about a hundred years. And then once they reproduce, they trigger, they actually release factors that kill actively the whole uh, bamboo plants of the same age that have reproduced, right? And so you have this recycling of forests uh, every night. Uh, also in animals, this can happen. For example, there is the you know, um, charismatic case of the uh, Pacific salmons. Once they reproduce, they actually, um, once they, they, you know, they, they home back in their own rivers, they reproduce and then they undergo this dramatic um, uh, phenotype of accelerated senescence. It seems to be like a trigger to, to let themselves go. This is one way to think about it. Another possible way to think about it is that actually they stop repairing themselves, right? I think it's slightly different, but it actually leads to, to, similar, to similar outcomes. So there is definitely like a clock that can actually click once uh, once you reproduce. This happens in certain species. Definitely doesn't happen in all the species. So um, if you, for example, to address your question, if you prevent a species from, like an individual from reproducing, it wouldn't necessarily live longer or differently from an individual that has, uh, except for salmons and in this specific case of the bamboo plant. So if you're programmed to, to die once you reproduce, uh, then of course, preventing reproduction will extend your lifespan. But if you're not programmed to trigger that old process of demise once you reproduce, then you know even if you prevent the reproduction event, you you won't have this catastrophic. Right. Okay. So if you look at let's say people um, when they're young, as you said, you know, and I'm guessing this is what you said. Uh, their bodies are very protective over error accumulation in the sperm and egg cells. Let's say. But once, uh, as people age, for instance, or as other organisms age, does, do they become less protective over damage occurring to their, um, their germline cells? And is that a function of aging? Right. So uh, in humans, for instance, age uh, of both man and woman um, 
affects uh, to some extent the, the germline, um, uh, the, the number of errors of uh, DNA mutations that are um, present in the new gametes, in the new, in the new um, uh, germ cells. So there is also like an accumulation of damage, although uh, germline is extremely good, extremely protected from damage, uh, later on in life, so older individuals definitely have, um, have higher chances. For example, women uh, notoriously um, have high chance of uh, developing this uh, chromosomal aberration. So this, you know, this, these changes in the chromosomes uh, structure, some they fuse, some they split, that can lead to um, other miscarriages or, or diseases uh, in, um, in the offspring. Uh, uh, the older the woman, the higher the risk that is for this type of uh, uh, of, of issues. Similarly, in men also, it's been shown that uh, um, men uh, at a later age, um, they actually uh, affect the uh, survivorship of their, of their daughters in particular, and I will explain what I mean by that. So uh, older fathers uh, will actually uh, have slightly shorter-lived daughters than younger fathers, and the reason for that is that they are transmitting to the daughters the X chromosome, which is a large chromosome. Um, and uh, uh, this large chromosome will actually have a lot of, uh, uh, just like every other chromosome in the, uh, that the father is transmitting to the daughters, will have a lot of errors, okay? Just like every other chromosome. However, why daughters and not sons is because the son is just, you know, uh, inheriting a, y, a small Y chromosome that has very, very limited information. Instead, a daughter is inheriting from the father a large chromosome with a lot of important information, okay? So like an older father that has an X chromosome that has accumulated a lot of errors over time will actually have slightly lower lifespan than, uh, than, a, younger, uh, than a daughter of a younger father. So these were studied, okay. uh, studies uh, that have been published um, uh, hmm. a couple of decades ago. Where's the advancement in understanding that you're on the trail of in regards to aging? What are you trying to figure out specifically about it? Well, I mean, the questions we try to, to ask and to understand are twofold. One is uh, how species evolve different lifespans and age, uh, aging strategies. So what is the genetic basis and the evolutionary trajectories that lead species to be long-lived or short-lived? Uh, and the other question is how can we manipulate uh, lifespan and aging in species experimentally? How can we intervene on um, improving what we call homeostasis, right? So this process of balance of equilibrium of, um, that manages to keep all the system in check. Uh, so for the first part, the evolutionary part, we are very much focused on um, short-lived fish that we study in my lab. It's uh, African turquoise killifish, it's called. It's uh, the shortest lived uh, vertebrate that we know of. So it's, um, it's a fish that lived just about four months in the laboratory, but also in its natural environment. So we have developed together with other groups, this fish as a new model system for aging, and we use it to study um, how species evolve short lifespan, because this, this fish is a particular case of evolution of short, of, of short lifespan invertebrates, which are organisms like ourselves, right? Uh, and so what we have found is actually we have studied and understood how this species has become so short-lived. And uh, the long story short, actually, uh, what we found is that uh, Darwinian selection, Darwinian evolution has not much to do with actually why this species became so short-lived. It seems that this species became short-lived out of an accident. So they live in very particular environments and there is no selective pressure. There is no advantage in being extremely long-lived in, in those environments because those environments where they live, and this is the African savanna, give to this fish just a chance to survive in water for a few months every year, only during the rainy season 
So these fish are perfectly, perfectly adapted to grow as fast as they can uh, during the wet season to uh, reproduce. And then there is no real strong selection to, to maintain uh, the body for a long time. Uh, so you may wonder what happened to the rest of the year. The rest of the year, when it's dry, there is no water whatsoever in the ponds where these fish live. And the embryos survive in the dry mud, okay? So when we think about the fish, we really think about the adult stage of the fish, the, the swimming one, right? But the, normally the embryos, the eggs are encased in dry mud. And so what we found is basically that in these particular environments, there is no selective pressure to survive for a very long time. And what it means is that a lot of mutations that normally affect genes that um, uh, matter for late life maintenance, for, to maintain the body for a long time um, uh, in adulthood, these, these genes that accumulate continuously mutations will not be purged of these mutations in this specific environment. So there is no selection, there is no counter selection to remove those, uh, those, those deleterious mutations. Okay, so um, it's a little bit like what happens in humans. Mutations that affect very, very old life, uh, for example, dementias, right? Neurodegenerative diseases uh, are like a typical example, right? By the time you've reproduced, but by, by actually by the time you, you, you realize that you are sick, you've already reproduced, right? So you've already transmitted to the next generation those genes that actually will lead you to your dementia or to your late life uh, occurring disease. And the same thing for the fish, right? So they have late life um, detrimental consequences due to the fact that selection does not remove this mutation. So what do we make with this information? We actually, we think we understand also a little bit about the human evolution by studying this fish. Because we understand that when population, populations undergo these very uh, uh, strong selective um, uh, conditions like the fish has, population size decreases dramatically. And this is also something that happened in the human species. And selection normally under very small population size is particularly inefficient. So inefficient selection would mean that selection is not particularly good at removing deleterious mutations. So we think that part of the reasons why we age the way we age has to do with uh, uh, the weak, weakened selection in removing these deleterious mutations that stick around. Uh, in what so factors would, uh, I don't know, what factors would cause an organism to uh, live longer or live less long? Why would, why would uh, what constitutes a pressure that would you know, change the organism to live longer or live less? Right. So you can imagine that if you, if you were this fish, for instance, to go back to this example, if you were to live longer, you could in theory keep on reproducing, right? So you could, you could keep on spreading your genes to the next generations, right? So if you, if you had a pond where this fish lived that lasted for, I don't know, for a year instead of four months, those individuals would be, would be, would be living longer than the others. They would have the chance to reproduce more, right? And so, so, Basically, what it means statistically, right, is that in the next generation, you have more uh, offspring from the longer lifts because they have reproduced more, right? So you can see that uh, would directly translate into, into a selective advantage. You live long and reproduce more, as long as there is a possibility to keep on reproducing for longer. But what, um, if, you, uh, you know, what if you have these fish and you're nice to them, you coddle them, and there's nothing that uh, you know, pushes them towards death? They've got a nice environment. They get fed every day. You know, you tap on the tank and say hello to them. I mean, that's right. There's, there's supposedly no pressure then for them to die at their age. So why wouldn't they all of a sudden start living longer? Right. So this is exactly what we do in the laboratory. So in the laboratory, we keep the fish uh, with plenty full of water. We don't stress them. We don't 
uh, create environments that are stressful to them. We feed them every day, twice, and they are in a nice temperature, et cetera, et cetera. And it would still live those four months, right? So they are really, they have this constellation of mutations that actually decides how long they're going to be living, okay? But what you're asking probably is like, can we, can we suppress this, this kind of selection for them not to, to remove those deleterious mutations, right? So in other words, can we award the longer lived individuals and, um, um, uh, and, and, and therefore they would be laying more eggs? So this is actually, um, this could be done in theory. This, this is called experimental evolution. One could design an experiment in which you have um, uh, a large tank, like many large tanks may, maybe, with you know, enough genetically diverse fish, for instance, to breed them and to um, and then to collect embryos of uh, of the fish, but you would need a lot of generations, right, to do this to run this experiment. Actually, we do know that in this particular group of fish, these killifish, most of the fish underwent like shortening of lifespan. There are some instances in which lifespan extended, actually, and we want to understand what happens in those fish that actually had this lifespan extension. So we want to ha- want to understand what happens to them, uh, and uh, so this is something that we're actively studying. Uh, so, you know, if you long live or short live, actually, we see that has a particular signature in the genome. So we can actually tell whether a fish is long live or short live by looking at um, at, at particular um, particular features of uh, of the genome of the fish. So we can now recognize that pretty pretty well, uh, and uh, we want to understand how these features came to be uh, throughout evolution. This is very much under investigation. What about the um, the microbiome? You said that you were studying microbiomes and how they change as we age do you doing that in the fish as well right so we do that in the fish in mice and also in um, we started investigating this also in humans so the reason why we look at the microbiome is because um it's because it's, of course has become very accessible experimentally over the past few years now we are able to you know in the past to study the microbes you needed to look at the microscope to culture them uh, in your uh, petri dish and uh, and do experiments right so but you needed to, to culture them in a way to to know what microbes are in a given environment so nowadays we can actually access these uh, microbes by simply um, sequencing their genome or uh, other other aspects of uh, uh, of their proteins or their RNAs, right? So we can know how, what microbes and how many of those are in a given substrate surface by se- simply sequencing. So what we found is that actually uh, there are very, very rich communities of microbes that are uh, in, the, in the gastrointestinal tract of pretty much any organisms that, that has a gastrointestinal tract. And this is a very well-known thing. And so what we found is that there are massive dr- drastic changes in microbiota microbe composition over aging. So uh, humans, fish, other organisms undergo dramatic changes in the microbiota composition over time. Uh, and there are particular changes that occur during aging. In particular, what we have observed is that while young individual have a very, individuals have a very diverse microbiota composition, older individuals have a less diverse microbiota composition. So young individuals have different types of bacteria, many different thousands of different types of bacteria, even fish. Uh, instead, older individuals have a few hundred uh, bacterial um, uh, types, species, if you will. So, and a few species take over, you know, uh, take over the whole community. This is very similar to what happened during infections, actually. During some specific infections, you have expansion of some bacteria that actually then become pathogenic. They can be very problematic. What do you think that is? Because there is a loss of roles that the bacteria would take up as systems in an organism get damaged when it's older or 
Like, what would be the reason for this? The reason for the change in the composition. Yeah, is there just less redundancy, yeah. but all the same roles are still fulfilled? Or are there loss completely of certain right. roles by the bacteria? Right. So we have this hypothesis. So we have the hypothesis that actually what shapes the microbiota composition, what really um, builds it, uh, it's uh, the immune system. So we believe that the immune system of the host participates actively in uh, uh, deciding who are the friends and who are the enemies. Okay. So some of the microbes actually are, ne- are needed. So we need some of these microbes to give us you know, fundamental molecules like vitamins, vitamin K, K B, uh, actually are synthesized by these bacteria. We need them for secondary bile acids. We need them for a lot of different things, for certain aspects of digestion to digest starches and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, so the immune system can really tell who's the friend and who's the enemy somehow. So there is an innate way to, to recognize bacteria and to actually uh, suppress uh, invaders but also there are ways to foster um, friends, right? So to foster, uh, to culture, re- literally, uh, certain types of bacteria. So what we believe is happening with aging is that the aging immune system, for instance, would lead to a um, decreased capacity to recognize who's the friend and who's the enemy or decreased capacity to fight the enemies and to foster uh, the environment so, so that the, the, the friends would actually thrive. So we think that this shift actually is a consequence of aging. The shift in the microbiota composition may be a consequence of aging of the host itself. However, what we also have observed is that uh, microbes per se are able to talk to the immune system. So microbes can themselves modulate, manipulate the immune system uh, in fact, when we transplant microbes from young fish, for instance, to middle-aged fish, we can actually promote health uh, dramatically. So we can extend lifespan. So in other words, we treat middle-aged fish with antibiotics and we provide these fish with microbes that come from young cospecifics. And these transplants of this complex microbial community actually is extremely beneficial to the host. What, what happens in the fish when you do that? What do you notice? Well, they live longer. They live significantly. Lo- so what we have done actually has been uh, to uh, look at survival in the fish and they live longer. So this is actually was one acute intervention. So at about 9.5 weeks of age of the fish, that corresponds to something like, um, I would say, 45 years, uh, 50 years for a human being. Um, we actually, we treat the individuals with antibiotics. So we deplete the uh, gastrointestinal tract of this fish from their own resident bacteria. And it, we provide them microbes from the intestine of uh, young donors. And uh, they, they stick with these microbes for, for a whole day. So, and we make sure that actually they really undergo recolonization. So we test that over and over. And then once we make sure that the recolonization actually happens, uh, then we, we, you know, we put the fish back, back in the normal tanks and we just follow their, their life. And they, they actually, they, uh, they benefit dramatically by this transplant. And it's not just the antibiotic treatment that is beneficial to them because we, of course, have our control groups where we, we treat the fish with antibiotics and we give them the, the same age microbes, okay? So we, we compare treatment groups that receive microbes from either young or either the same age or they don't receive any microbes, right? And then we compare lifespan among those guys. Also, we do a reverse experiment where we transplant microbes from old to young fish. And when we do that, nothing happens. So the fish, the young fish, they bounce back to where they're supposed to be at a young age. So they are able to reconstitute their own resident microbes. They are supposed to be there at that age. So that's why we think really that uh, there is a 
active role and active contribution of um, features of the, of the uh, immune system to, to actually shape actively the microbiota composition at a given age. But now, you know, this is an, still an hypothesis that we are testing. So now we are generating fish that lack this or that uh, aspect of immune system. And then we do the transplant in that context, see whether uh, fish are no more able to, to actually benefit from the transplant. Um, have, you, and, um, have, you, have you sequenced the microbiome of the middle-aged fish that you transplanted the young fish microbes into over time to see if it reverts back to the, um, you know, the older profile or does it stay with the young profile? That's right. So uh, we do, we, we did exactly uh, do that experiment that you're uh, referring to. So we could see that there is a uh, acute shift to the younger state and then it stays for uh, quite some time. So we tested actually up to uh, seven weeks post-transfer that for the fish is a very long time. Uh, but eventually it will go back to uh, to an aged microbiota. So um, it won't necessarily uh, stay like that for, for forever. So you, we have we have a we have an acute shift that leads to a long-lasting benefit. But uh, what we don't know, for instance, is that if we do repeatedly this transfer, whether transfer whether the the fish would benefit continuously from this uh, from this replenishment. So this would be an interesting experiment. I know this is like um, it's not what you're doing, but I wonder what happens to the um, the food that we eat or creatures eat. You know, has has anyone done an experiment where they fed an animal or a person, like let's say old fish, you know, middle-aged fish versus young fish? I mean, I wonder, again, this is way off, but when you're eating something, when you're digesting it, do you think there's any influence on the age of the thing you're eating? You know, are you getting some of its bacteria that would benefit you if it's younger or older? Are you somehow utilizing any of the DNA that comprises the food that you're eating and is that affecting you? Has that ever been looked at? So are you asking whether we eat an young or old individual and whether this would affect our own microbiota? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Has anyone done an experiment like that where they only feed some kind of creature, old, old creatures, you know, I don't know, let's say something eats, uh, some yeah. animal eats, you know, rats, and they only feed old rats versus young rats. Has anyone done right. that to see anything? I'm not sure whether this has been done. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, when you, when you cook food, you, you, the, the microbial part is completely, uh, you know, filtered out. So you, you uh, cooked food normally, uh, you know, if you cook it for long, uh, you, you, would, you would deplete of most of the... Uh, no, but most uh, animals eat, eat raw food. You know, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, so the, the, in nature, um, yeah, in nature, you know, there is this very in- interesting question of whether in nature old individuals stick around for long, right? So, um, so whether, but yeah, but to go back to your question, I don't know whether uh, predators select specific, actually, as far as I know, predators, like, you know, big predators tend to go after the sick and uh, the, either the very young um, uh, preys or the, the sick and older ones, right? So, uh, but if they had to choose, I don't know if they would go for the, for the, for the adults and, and whether there is a selection to, to, to survive on certain types of microbes. That, that, that's an interesting, um, I don't know whether there is this uh, selective choice. So what I can tell I, you, I though, it's, it's way off what you're doing, but the thought just occurred to me. I wonder if anyone's experimenting with that. You know? I don't know. So what I can tell you though, is that co-culturing, for instance, could be like a, a rather instead of feeding, right? So it's contact, right? So if you were to, to keep in contact, um, um, so, for example, mice, if you raise mice in a lab, 
normally they, they are coprophagic, that means that they eat their own poo. And so if you co-house in the same cage mice that are young and old, they will actually share the same microbiota in a way, right? So they would recirculate microbes uh, among them. And so whether that would in a way affect uh, the microbes and uh, other aspects of life of the young of the, or, or, the, or the old, as far as I know, has not been uh, explored. There are a little bit of issues. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they haven't even looked on, uh, you know, old mice housed with young mice because of this, you know, you know, not so, right. You would think that it would keep the older mice younger and longer, right? Could be, could be. Uh, it, yeah, it could be. So it could very well be, um, you know, there are not so many people working on microbes and aging. Actually, I, it's very few labs. So it's a very new field of investigation. So a lot of people studying the microbiota study normally diseases or uh, immune system, or, you know, for example, people study cancer and microbiota, people study, uh, you know, uh, inflammatory bowel disease and microbiota, specific types of um, conditions. Aging uh, and the microbiota is a very, very recent field of immune, as really, you know, very, very young. So these are all open questions. Uh, what I can tell you, though, because, you know, we thought a lot about doing this type of experiment that you're mentioning, is that uh, when you do this transfer, you have to... Um, uh, not transfer, sorry, when you do this co-housing experiment, you have to factor in a lot of other aspects. So you have pheromones, so these molecules, you know, this, uh, that uh, volatile molecules that can be um, sensed and that can affect the behavior and the physiology of the other organism, right? So, so you have microbes, but you have a lot of other things. You have aggression, you have uh, smell, you have a lot of things. So um, separating the microbial part component from everything else it's not that easy. And that's why we actually do experimentally, we just do the transfer of the microbe to remove out just that component and be sure that we, are, we know what we, are, what we are adding or what we're removing and we want to know the consequences of that specific intervention. Um, when, when you said that older individuals have less diverse microbiomes, I mean, that's just like, you know, not, no fault of your own. It's just a very surface level analysis. What, what, what is needed to really figure out what the difference is? What would you, you know, the metabolites, the metabolome, the, you know. Right, exactly. Transcriptome, so, what would you need to see? Sure, right. So, so when, you, when, you, when you look at the microbes, you can do it in different ways, right? So you can look at uh, the, the species count that can come from different sources, depending on how you do your sequencing. You can look at what genes actually are on or off, right? So you can look at the transcriptome uh, of, uh, you know, the metatranscriptome even, like, right? So you can look at the RNAs that are present in a given time in a given community of microbes, right? So when we talk about deplete, of course, you can look also at the, at the, at the proteome and uh, metabolome, et cetera, et cetera. Those will all give you additional level of information. And this is exactly what we are doing right now. Also in my laboratory, um, we have actually longitudinal mice cohorts and fish cohorts where we look at each individual mouse and, uh, and we actually ask how their microbes are changing over time, but this way in an individualized level, way, right? So can we predict from those specific uh, aspects, microbes, uh, uh, transcripts, or um, metabolites from the microbiota, uh, whether we can predict how young, how healthy, and how long-lived that individual will be, right? At the end, we will know that information. We will, we will know how long-lived that individual is, uh, uh, or how much it weights, and how much it weights varies over time. So now with multiomics, we can really investigate what metabolite or 
or microbial species or this or that weights more in the in the in the predict in the prediction right of, of future state. But uh, when we talk about diversity, uh, of course we can discuss diversity uh, in different uh, different contexts. What I was referring to specifically was individual alpha diversity. What this means is that these are how many. So this has to do with richness, right? How many different species of bacteria a young versus an old individual has. Uh, so and there is this. this you know, constant decline in, um, in species diversity in older individuals and in frail individuals. We don't see exactly the same thing in humans, for instance, with aging. In humans, there is a little bit of a decrease in diversity. But what we see in humans happening in terms of decreased diversity is when you are frail, right? So frail individuals, uh, disease actually is more associated with loss of diversity as opposed to, to you know, healthy aging, as we may say. Um, and um, uh, there is another type of diversity, which is the inter-individual diversity, which is called beta diversity. Um, so how I am that different from you in terms of microbiota, okay? And uh, that actually, that, measures of, that measure of diversity increases with age. So any two older individuals that have their own individual and depauperated and poor microbiota composition, they are very distant from one another, right? So it's like they sample the initial diversity that were present in the young in different ways. So each individual is a separate uh, trajectory, separate trajectory microbiota subsampling. If I, uh, if, 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 if what I say makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. They've yeah. gone, their microbiome has gone down a, a, a more and more different path. That's right. Well, has anyone looked at blue zones, you know, a sequence to microbiome right, right. blue zone people? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's been some work done uh, uh, by some uh, colleagues in Italy, for instance. So there are these uh, super centenarian families or cities in Sardinia. Uh, people have looked at, at that a little bit. So um, they've seen that there is enrichment in specific type of bacteria and the trajectories are different from uh, from that of uh, the control group uh, the normal living individual however it's very hard to actually compare the super centenarians to anybody else right so how do you extrapolate their trajectory so there is no longitudinal information from those from those individuals right so we don't know how they were when they were 80 right what their microbiota was like when they were 80 so that we can compare their microbiota at that state with a microbiota of a non-centenarian 80-year-old individual. So there is a little bit of um, uh, missing data still to understand thoroughly this. So I think that uh, there is a need of a longitudinal, uh, a longitudinal analysis of this that is still, still lacking. Because, you know, then is, you have... Is this... it not useful to look at the, again, the microbiomes of centenarians versus, uh, you know, a normal population? Right, but these are still individuals that are extremely old. So what I what I mean by that is that uh, um, you know you you need a control group, and and the con the best control group would be the centenarian at eighty year old, for example, the centenarian at seventy, the centenarian at sixty, and then we could compare it with a matched sixty year old, matched seventy year old, matched eighty year old who doesn't have the luxury to live uh, over there their hundred years because you know otherwise you have this very very peculiar micro microbial compositions of these individuals but they don't have a special bacterium right it's it's slightly different from that so but as far as uh, as i recall from the published literature on uh, on, on super centenarians they uh, there was not anything nothing particularly uh, remarkable to to be observed from this uh, uh, from these individuals in terms of their own microbiome. Hmm, okay. So what 
what's next? I mean, what, what are you going to be looking at and what, what are you looking to figure out in terms of the microbiome and aging? Well, for example, what really, um, so, you know, different things, of course. So in the fish, we want really to know, for instance, you know, using the fish, we can ask courageous questions, the things that, you know, will take shorter time than in the mice and in the humor, for example, and we can, we can, we can uh, work on transgenic fish, for example. And so we want to really understand the crosstalk between immune system and microbiota. We want to try and boost immune function with the microbiota. So we want to uh, restore health uh, in a more precise way than doing like a whole microbiome transfer. We want to understand what aspects of the microbiota are key to improving health in the host. And on the other hand, since I told you before that our hypothesis is that is the immune system that regulates the microbiota composition in the first place, uh, we want to know what aspects of the immune system are failing with time uh, that may be leading to the shift in microbiota composition. And we want to play with those. We want to try to extend those, the functionality that are lost um, with aging specifically. So this is one thing that we want to do. Another thing we want to do is actually create sort of... Um, predictors of health uh, using the microbiota. So we want to know, I want to understand from uh, aspects uh, intrinsic to the microbiota, whether we can tell whether an individual has a liver problem, like a cognitive impairment, whether a person has a risk, a high or low risk for this or that cancer, or whether an individual is at risk for, whether we can tell health from the microbes, right? So there is a lot of information present in the microbes, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in stool, for example, that, uh, that we cannot draw from blood. Uh, another thing that uh, uh, really interests me is actually more interventional then. So we would like to also understand whether in, uh, in humans, there is any benefit in considering, uh, this, in, this, in this case specifically, autotransplantation. So whether the same individual would benefit from receiving microbes from the same individual uh, at an earlier age or in a state of uh, better health. This could apply, for instance, uh, after antibiotic treatment to recover uh, or even after uh, conditions. So these are two, two aspects. And one that is the last aspect that I'm very much passionate about, which is uh, also the evolution of the microbes in the, in the gut, right? So we're very much looking also at how microbes actually are evolving actively in, uh, in the intestine. So intestine is really like a very rich environment uh, where there is a lot of um, evolutionary dynamics and there's a lot of ecology and evolution happening in a time scale of the life of an individual. So we are looking at uh, evolution of microbes uh, and the whole microbiota um, in uh, well, very good. Well, Dario, what, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Well, I guess uh, uh, you can check my uh, lab website, uh, which is valenzano-lab at uh, .age.mpg.de. Um, or you can just Google my name, I guess uh, you, would, uh, you would find more about it. Well, very good. Dario, thanks for coming, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.